joining us again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. Y'all, this is, oh my gosh, we were just talking about this. Just to even say it is a blessing. We are now in our third year of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I was just sitting here talking to our servant leader who's going to bring the word this evening and just crazy, right? As, as they would say on Golden Girls, picture this, Sicily. So picture this pandemic, 2020. And we were literally home, stuck in the house, trying to figure out what our next steps were. And God allowed a group of people from all over the world to connect and fall on our faces and read the word and fellowship and grow in with each other. And I feel like, and many of y'all probably could, you know, probably agree that, when we came out of the pandemic, we came out stronger. It's like to say, you know, please be patient with me. Uh, God is not through with me yet. But when he gets through with me, I should come forth this pure goal. I feel like even though we got some hits and bumps and bruises and things tattered and torn, we came out of that thing with more firepower ready to roll. And so I ask God, y'all, I don't move without him. Been talking to my brother, it's gonna speak tonight and many servant leaders about the direction that we should go in to help these athletic professionals and these leaders uh, continue to lead and serve. And, and I laughed because I was like, God, you're something else. And he gave me, he said, the fourth quarter. In any sports you play, you know that fourth quarter means it's time to turn it up a notch. It's time to go in overdrive. It's time to go ahead and stop playing and cash in to win the game. And we're going with the fourth quarter. What it looks like for servant leaders to serve for the return of Christ. And there was no way we don't open up this third year celebration, the kickoff of the continuation of this amazing um, hand of God without my brother, servant leader, Dennis McNulty. He is a pastor. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a amazing basketball coach, y'all. He's a Jersey brother. He's a run on Duncan uh, brother like me, but more than anything, he's a servant leader, a humble servant leader that's on fire for Christ. So I'm going to stop talking because I'm going to tell you right now, brother, I done rubbed down. I done rotated my ankles a little bit. I done loosened up my chair because I know that God's going to do a work in you as he always does. I'm going to pass the torch to you so you can say hello to our listeners and give us the word for today, man. I love you and I thank you for your time because Lord knows once it's given, it can't be given back. Well, we love you and we thank God for your obedience three years ago, you know, to just give the give the Lord a yes. And I tell folks all the time that one of the there's so many things that cause me to step back and be in wonder of God. But the fact that God chooses to use us, hmm. I just I just can't fathom it. But he has a proclivity of taking his deity and partnering it with our humanity and I just can't get over the fact that he does that. I tell folks all the time, if he would have saved me and put me in the most remote part of the church and never asked me to do anything for his kingdom, 
I still would have had the loudest praise in the building. Come on. Um, but not only has he done that, but he's asked us to, to lead and to serve and the privilege of preaching the gospel. And so thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, this this fourth quarter, right? Throw out them fours, right? To the football coaches out there, fourth, fourth, to the basketball coaches, four, four. I love it because um, ironically enough, I'm sitting in my classroom, even though we're on spring break, my schedule was as such today that if I was going to commit to 630, I would have had to do it here. And so there's an echo in here and such. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rather excitable. So if it's too much, just somebody give me a cue and, and um, we'll settle ourselves down. But I teach ninth and 10th graders and uh, I teach the ninth graders Old Testament and I teach the New Testament Bible doctrine to the 10th graders. And oftentimes, you know, they'll ask questions relative to the time that we're living in. And so when you presented that, you know, this is the fourth quarter, how do we as servant leaders um, lead? How do we coach? How do we pastor? How do we mentor? As we believe time, quote unquote, as we know it is winding down, you know, different depending on our theology, whether we're dispensationalists that began in the book of beginnings with the dispensation of innocence. I am a dispensationalist. At least it gives me some type of insight to gauge what time we're living in, right? And we know that in the beginning, you know, the problem with time, Sister Chelsea, is that God is outside of time. God is eternal. And so the Revelation writer John says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. So he's eternal in nature, which places him outside of time. Our problem is we're confined by time. I always like to say relative to time that, you know, Moses says to God, God, show me your glory. And God acquiesced, believe it or not. He didn't rebuke Moses for the request. He acquiesced to the request. Of course, we know that he had to kind of hide Moses and, you know, talk to the hand type of thing and covered him and sheltered him, hit him in the cleft of the rock. But I want to begin with that because what I, what I like to ask people is when Moses beheld the glory of God, what part did Moses behold? And of course, he beheld the hindward part. And I like to tell people, and we can be encouraged by this right off the rip, that what that means then is God is eternal and he's outside of time. That means then that the problem that is in front of me is already behind him. So I have some struggles, I have some issues, I have some afflictions, but that problem that is in front of me is already behind him. I want to look at the book of Revelation tonight, and of course that's way too ambitious for a 35 to 40 minute uh, section, but I think it does orient us rather nicely to this whole idea of what dispensation we're in. Of course the challenge is that preachers from Peter till now have been saying this is the last day, right? Peter, Peter was telling folks it's the last day. And here we are saying it's the last day. So how would we know, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that we are absolutely in the fourth quarter. And I want to kind of look at the book of Revelation, but I don't want to look at it through the lens of end time things. I don't want to look at it, you know, through, through the prism of some of the things that we've made it, right? Because let's be honest, some folks have um, some rather strange approaches um, to, this, uh, to this book. I want to look at it by reminding all of us what the original intent of the intent of the original author was. When John was instructed to write to the seven churches in Asia Minor, he was writing from Patmos. He was isolated six and a half miles from the closest city, which would have been Ephesus. 
and he is being penalized for being effective in his assignment. So they exiled him to Patmos Island, and it says that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I love that because I think what John being on Patmos Island suggests to you and I is that sometimes God wants to say a thing to us, but we're distracted from hearing it based upon the goings on around us. And so I like to call it background noise. And so if we're in the fourth quarter and God is yet speaking, what do I need to do in my life to lower the background noise so that I can see clearly what the Lord has instructed me to do? So in John's case, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and the Lord instructs him to write. And he says, write unto the angel of these seven churches. The angel, of course, being messenger, we might say pastor. And what we need to note from the beginning of our time together tonight, that yes, we're looking through the lens of end time things, but he's writing to the original audience for one reason and one reason only. And that is he's writing to encourage them to endure and to stay the course during extreme persecution. And so we can look at it through the lens of eschatology all we want. But when we look at it to say, okay, what might he been saying to the church in Ephesus or Smyrna or Laodicea that can apply to me, a servant leader in the calendar year 2023? Well, the first thing I would say to you is that we need to do like he did and encourage one another that regardless of what's going on, that we would endure. That, that we would make up our mind that no matter what comes, we are going to endure, right? Preachers love talking about, and I, listen, I tune up and preach and holler at my church, and I tell them that when I went through the water, it wasn't going to overtake me. When I went through the fire, I wasn't kindled and burned, and all of that is true. But if we read down as to why God instructed them, he says, when you went through the fire, you weren't kindled and burned. When you went through the water, it didn't overtake you. And he tells them, because I want to hold your hand, that you might be a light unto the Gentiles. And so he's telling Israel that if I lose you, I lose your witness. Well, it's interesting because John in Revelation says similar things. Now, prior to us bringing in uh, and going live on this uh, uh, podcast tonight, you and I were talking privately and you mentioned the word order. And I almost leapt out of my seat because when you look at the letter to the churches in Asia Minor, there is a clear and distinct order to the text and to the writing. They all begin where Christ is depicted. Now, depending on the church, he was depicted a little differently. In one, he was the Alpha and the Omega. In the other, he was uh, he that held the seven stars and walked among the seven golden candlesticks. So he was depicted differently. But here's the point. John was reminding them that in spite of what you're dealing with, he's still with you. And we should really pause to thank them right there, that, that where is Christ depicted in our current servant leadership role? Where is Christ depicted on our teams? Where is he depicted in our locker rooms? Where is he depicted in our classrooms? Where is he depicted in our churches or synagogues or houses of worship? But then I love this because the next thing that we see in the order of things was that he would encourage them. He would encourage them specifically for something that they were doing well. He, he would encourage them that, you know, you are holding on to the truth. You're not compromising. You're, you're not um, giving away uh, to the powers that be. But then the interesting thing was after the encouragement, there would be an indictment. 
You would tell them of the thing that I have an art with you. Of course, the exception being Smyrna and Philadelphia, but the other five churches were all indicted and chief among them was that you lost your first love, right? And I want us to understand that as we see things escalating in the culture around us, as we see the pressures mounting, I really want to combine this with your theme of fourth quarter because I really think there are incredible similarities, right? That we, the church, are no longer in the dispensation of, of innocence, which Adam and Eve were. We're no longer in the dispensation of conscience, which they were. We're no longer in the dispensation of human government. We're no longer under the law, but we are now in the dispensation of grace and we are living in the church age. But there's tension because the kingdom is an interesting thing, Sister Chelsea, because the kingdom was, the kingdom will be, and the kingdom is, right? We know the kingdom was because this very John came preaching the kingdom. We know the kingdom was because when Jesus sat down with his disciples, he says, I'll no more drink the fruit of the vine until I do it again in my father's kingdom. So John came saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know absolutely that the kingdom was. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there's a kingdom of, that's coming. The millennial reign of Christ is going to be a reality. Our problem, beloved, is that we're caught in the tension in the middle. We're not part of the kingdom that was. We're not yet the kingdom that will be, but we're caught in the tension of the kingdom that is. But I want you to know that Jesus said something that should encourage us. When the inquiry was made, when the kingdom would come, Jesus said, look here, beloved, the kingdom will not come with observation. It is not low here or low there, for the kingdom of God is within you. And so let's think about this tonight. The kingdom of God is within Dennis. The kingdom of God is within Chris. I've seen her jump on. The kingdom of God is within Chelsea. And the kingdom of God is within us. Now, the enemy realizes that time as we know it is winding down. Now, we're using the fourth quarter as an example. Well, we've got a lot of coaches that we fellowship with. The fourth quarter is an interesting time in any game but it is also interesting relative to where you are. So the strategy might be different if you're up or if you're down. The strategy might be uh, different if you're close or if you're far behind. But the fourth quarter is about time management. And the fourth quarter is also about how we handle and how we respond to pressure. Now, of course, shots in the fourth quarter are more of a pressure situation than they were in the first. Free throws have a greater gravity and weight in the fourth quarter than they did in the first. And then, of course, do you have a club that can handle pressure? Am I going to be able to get back in this game by going to a pressure defense? And a lot of times at the high school level where I coach at and you coach at, it really does come down to that. Which team is going to bring pressure? Which team is going to be able to handle the pressure? Well, if this is the fourth quarter of the church and the dispensation is getting ready to shift, and the millennial reign of Christ is coming, we should talk about pressure. We should talk about what our approach to pressure is going to be. And I want you to know that as it relates to pressure, anything that is capable of being pressurized has with it a pressure release valve. I remember some years ago that I was in a boiler room with my brother. My brother's mechanically inclined. He could build your house from the ground up, including the blueprints. I conversely, I don't know a Phillips head from a flat head. I don't know a vice grip from a screwdriver. I don't know, but I needed a job and he took me in. 
And we were down doing a boiler check. And this is going to help somebody. I promise you it will. And my brother took a temperature reading of the boiler. And he was like, oh, man, that thing's running too hot. And I'm looking at him like, well, we better get out of here. You know, I'm thinking they're going to blow up or something. He goes, no, no, it ain't nothing to be afraid of. It ain't to run from. He said, there's a valve on the back that's going to help me to alleviate a little bit of the pressure. And in so doing, it's going to regulate the temperature. All right, watch where I'm going with this now. If anything that's capable of being pressurized has with it a pressure release valve, as the pressure of this end time begins to mount, Come on. as these things that are beginning to show the beginning of sorrows begin to become evident, when the book of uh, uh, Daniel looks like the evening news, when, when these things are starting to manifest, we need to step back and say, okay, maybe this is God trying to tell us that we don't have as much time as we thought. And this pressure now, if not treated, is what, what do we say? Pressure bus pipes, right? So here's the question for the beloved tonight. What is your pressure release valve? Because if something that's capable of being pressurized is supposed to have with it a pressure release valve, we need to ask ourselves, what is my pressure release valve? Well, I've discovered in my life that I have several. My prayer is a pressure release valve. So when I feel the troubles of this life, when I feel the pressures of this life mounting, my prayer closet becomes a place where I can release pressure. I've discovered in my little Pentecostal life that my shout, my praise, my dance, my holler are all things that I can use to release pressure, right? I mean, you know, coaching, coaching is an interesting thing because depending on the officials, you got some that call it a little tighter, right? You got Come on. some that allow them to play. I mean, who, who among us wasn't frustrated yesterday? We couldn't tweet fast enough. Like, Come oh, on, man. <laughs> we, we ain't come to watch. You know, we all seen what was going on. <laughs> my favorite one though is the official that constantly reminds me of the coach's box come on some that will let me walk until i feel better i got some that try to restrict me to that area and those that know me know that when i run hot it's best to let me have a little bit more liberty because what i'm looking to do is to eliminate some of the pressure because the, the, the student athlete isn't the only one feeling the pressure, right? And so we've got to make sure that we have something in place to be able to release the pressure. So John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and the Lord began to speak. That tells me that John in his place of isolation, specifically Patmos, was a place of retreat, but it was a place where he was able to quiet the background noise enough to where in prayer, in reflection, in praise, Whatever it is that you do, you better make sure that as time as we know it begins to conclude that you have something to release some of the pressure. You have to have something in place. Now, I love this because we can't be a people of God that are outside of rebuke. When we look at the order of the text in John's letter, Jesus was depicted. There was encouragement. There was an indictment. There was a commendation or something that they did well. But then there was a rebuke, there was an admonishment, there was an ultimatum. And the ultimatum was often, if you don't do this, there's going to be something diabolical that happens. If you don't do this, I'm going to remove you. If you don't do this, I'm going to cause you uh, to be compromised. So we've got to make sure that as time is winding up as we know it, that we are being sensitive to what the Lord wants us to release. 
that we can't hold on to things. We can't suffer in silence, Sister Chelsea. We've got to have a network. We've got to have a mentor. We've got to have a pastor. We've got to have a fellow coach. We've got to have somebody that we can give our troubles to. And so it's an interesting thing when you look at this whole concept of the fourth quarter. Now, this is a difficult thing, but it needs to be said. I'm afraid that too often, one of my pet peeves with my fellow believers is that we sometimes act as if we've got all game. We act as if it's not the fourth quarter. Come on. We act as if we're not trailing by 20. We're acting as if these turnovers are still going to be manageable. When in fact, we've got to work while it's day because night comes where no man can work. We've got to make sure that we don't get caught with our work on done. We got to make sure, as the old church mothers tried to tell us, that payday's coming after a while. But the question is, how many of us are getting paid? How many of us are going to be able to endure the affliction of what John very succinctly tells us is coming? So he's preparing a people for an end time move. He's preparing a people for the final dispensation. And I want to just quickly read something real quick. And it's going to be to the church in Ephesus in chapter two. And of course, I don't know if you want me to just teach or preach. I don't know if you want to have it more of a uh, conversation. And somebody wants to jump in. what you came here to do, brother. Keep All going. Right. All right. <laughs> so you just feel free. I'm old school. You can pull my coat at any time. You know what I mean? The old preachers will get that reference. It says in chapter two, verse one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Now, can, can I just say something right there? Come on. That is either encouragement or should frighten the bejesus out of us. Come on. See, if we pause right there parenthetically, I know thy works, that should either encourage us or frighten us to change. I know thy works. The old songwriter said, may the works I've done speak, speak for, for me. me. Well, if he knows thy works, and so in their case, here goes the commendation. I know thy works and how thy labor and how thou patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them to be liars, right? So we clearly see here to the church in Ephesus, he is commanding them for something they've done well, right? And I think a good leader will do that. I think a good leader takes as a, as a policy that, that um, I'll praise in public and I'll rebuke in private, right? So he's rebuking them. Uh, I mean, he's encouraging them, but watch how quickly, and it says, and you've borne and have patience for my namesake and have labored and have not fainted. Now, I want to talk specifically to those of you that are getting weary in the well-doing. I want to talk to those of you that Paul was referencing when he talked to those in Galatia. In Galatia, Paul says to them, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. But he also told them, same people, that you will reap in due season, but your reaping is predicated on you fainting not. And that word faint don't mean to dizzy, and it means to lose heart. And I'm afraid that we're seeing more and more Christians lose heart. We're seeing more and more coaches 
lose heart. They're, they're becoming weary in the well-doing, not realizing that the only way they don't reap what God has for them is for them not to continue. See, don't forget, we can look through the lens of eschatology all we want, but we don't need to complicate it more so than it already is. John is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor to encourage them during the time of persecution. And he's telling them, listen, I've seen, in this case, Ephesus, I know thy works, I know thy labor, I know thy patience, and how you cannot bear them that are evil. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing, Sister Chelsea, if the same could be said of us? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, I know thy works, I know thy patience, I, I know how you can't stand them that are evil. I know that you dislike those that call themselves apostles and are found to be liars. Now, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> you know, everybody, but look, but he says, nevertheless, and I want us to hear this tonight, you're doing these things well. Here's the other thing. When we get down to verse four and he starts sharing with them the rebuke, we should all be encouraged by that because the Bible says open rebuke is better than secret love. Coaches will tell you, you don't ride that player that you don't see no potential in. You don't Come ride on. that kid, that young man or that young lady that you don't think are going to be impact players down the line. You ride the one that you know has the goods, but it's just a little rough around the edges. If I could just get her to watch her mouth, if I could just get him to stop being so hot-headed, if I could just get his father to leave him alone for five minutes so that he can actually play ball and run the play. So I love this about God because there's rebuke that's getting ready to happen, but two things that we should know. Number one, I'm still in your midst. That thing that you're doing that's displeasing to me didn't cause me to run from you. Didn't cause me to cast you out. Didn't cause me to overlook you. Didn't cause me to second guess my word that's over you. Right? And so I want you to understand. Can I go back to yesterday for a minute? You sure can. So we commonly call it Palm Sunday. We celebrate the triumphal entry. They took down palm branches. They cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna by translation means Lord save. So they were looking for a savior. But can I suggest to you that they weren't looking for Jesus to be their Lord. They were looking for a king that would give them favor with the Romans. They were looking for a king that could be a liaison between them and Rome. And Jesus wasn't coming to be any of those things. But they cried out even the more. Hosanna. Can I suggest to you that it blows my mind that he comes in and we all know the text, right? He says to the disciples, hey, go over to the city over and against you and you'll find a donkey and the colt tied up. Untether them, bring them to me. And then he includes Sister Chelsea. If anybody runs their, that ain't what he said. He doesn't say if anybody runs their mouth. He says, if anybody say anything to you, tell them the Lord has need of them. Come on. Now, the scripture says that he tells them to do this, that here it is now, my air quotes, that prophecy might be fulfilled. Now, wait a minute, Sister Chelsea, I got a question for you. If prophecy was over those two beasts, why was it necessary to have them tied up? Mm. Come see, on, brother. See, see, there's some seasons in my life that I survived. I was tied up in every wrong thing I can do. I made every mistake that I can make, and I was bound by my wrong decision. 
But the problem was there was prophecy that was over me. But I digress. He comes in, they cry out to be saved. The first thing he does is go into the temple, overturn the tables, and tell them, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. You have turned my father's house that is supposed to be a house of prayer. Now, listen to what they cried out. Lord, save me. But the Bible says in the middle of him rebuking those that needed to be rebuked, a blind man was healed. Watch this. The problem with the church is we think if God is rebuking, that his manifested power is not there. And I'm telling you, when you look at the story of the triumphal entry, when he goes into that temple and overturns the table and runs the money changers out and rebukes them for making the house of prayer something other than what it was supposed to be, the very next thing that we see recorded is that there was healing that took place. So God can rebuke and heal at the same time. Come God on. can rebuke and encourage at the same time. So when we go back to the church in Ephesus, we notice that he is encouraging them for their works. He's encouraging them for their patience. He's encouraging them for calling out liars among them. But then he goes on, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. We can't in this fourth quarter become too distant from our first love. Come on. We can't begin to do the work of ministry and forget the Christ that makes ministry possible. Come we can't on. get so caught up in where we are that we forget where we started. Let's we go. can't get so caught up in the engagement, the request, the preach, the teach, the coach, all of the accolades. Listen, I thought the songwriter said, I'm going to lay my trophies down. Mm. I, I can't bring, see, in his presence, this is all going to be done, the Apostle Paul says. So, You've left your first love. So the order is encouragement, indictment, commendation, rebuke, admonition, ultimatum. Let's read on verse five. Here's the thing that you need to do. Remember from where you are fallen and repent and do your first works. So verse five tells us that in this fourth quarter, there is three things that we all should be doing. Number one, remember. I think we would say it this way. When I look back over, my life. Somebody Don't you do to, it. Somebody about to put me in a B flat. Wait a minute. Come on now. When I look back over my life and I think things over, when I consider where I was, when I consider how he had every right to leave me and my father, when I consider how he could have struck me down. But see, this is where the dispensations come back in. You remember when Adam was in the dispensation of innocence? When Adam sinned when adam fell innocence gave way to conscience you remember the text god came looking for adam in the cool of the day mm -hmm. says to adam adam where are you now please know that when god is that is the full sum of wisdom asked the question it's got to be rhetorical he wasn't looking for the only man he didn't lose adam beloved he's like boy what caused you to think hiding from me was a good idea mm -hmm. adam where are you Let's remember Adam's response to show that the dispensation shift from innocence to conscience. He said, Lord, we were naked and we were afraid. We were naked and we were ashamed. Do you remember God? Does anybody remember God's response? Uh, uh, Adam's response? Adam says we're naked and ashamed. What did God say to Adam? He says, who told you you were naked? See, there's some conversations 
that God immediately knows we've been impacted by something other than. Because when you met with me in the cool of the day, you were naked without any conscience being defiled. Come this on. is why Paul says that one of the things that the blood does is that the blood washes us of a defiled conscience. Now, I'm going to just preach just for a minute. Bear with me. I want you all get ready to type this on your screen. He said we were naked and ashamed and we hid ourselves. The Lord says, who told you you were naked? Could you all entertain the preacher and write this? Who have you been talking to? In this fourth quarter, who have you been talking to? Are you talking to people that are going to build you up in the most holy phase? Or are you talking to people that are not rooted and grounded in the world? Are you talking to people that are adding to the hysteria? Or are you talking to people that said, wait a minute, the word said, blessed is the peacemaker. Are you talking to people that are going to incite a riot? Or are you talking to people that are going to stir the gift that is in you? God wanted to know, Adam, who told you? Come you were, on. Who told you you were broke? Who told you you were sick? Who told you that you were less than? Who told you that you were insignificant? Who told you that you were wrapped up in something other than the purpose and the will of God? I love it because he knew immediately from his response. And if I wanted to preach rather than teach, I'd tell you to type this too because somebody needs to hear it. In this fourth quarter, we're going to need you to come out, come out wherever you are. Come on. You hiding behind that tree, but come out here so I can cover you. I see you hiding in the last row thinking that you have nothing of significance to say. I see you hiding in your addiction. I see you hiding in your fear. I see you hiding in the failures of your yesterday. And I've stopped by as a prophet today to tell somebody, come out, come out wherever you are. Come out so that we can add to in this fourth quarter. Come out because every coach on the line should be able to attest to this. When you survive those fourth quarter runs by the other team, how many times in a game, coaches, have you turned to the bench those that are not in the game, those that are not actively playing at that moment. And I said, this is my thing to my bench. Where are y'all at? That's me. At? I you, can't hear y'all. Where, where, where are y'all at? Where, where at? Where's my bench energy? That's what we need to be saying to those that are in hiding. This is the fourth quarter and he's rebuking, but he's encouraging. And I want to know where y'all at? Where y'all at? Who told you you were naked? So, so we've got to make sure that we're conversating with the right. Listen, I don't know, Brother Paul, how many of us, in, the, in we just love that word that we get every day. Man, I don't know what the weather's going to oh, be. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. I don't know if my allergy's going to act up or behave, but I know Paul is going to send me a word from Iowa. Every day he's in that word, sending it to us. And these are the people I need to be talking to in this fourth quarter. I don't want to be talking to the people that are tearing down. I want to talk to the people that are building up. Come on. I don't want to talk to the people that are putting out the flames of the fire. I want to take from those that are fanning the flames of the fire. So let's go back to Revelation because I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I'm beginning to feel my help now. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. I'm trying to behave myself. You better go you. where it leads you. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. Now, notice the order. Remember, repent, and then do thy first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove you from the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. See, our problem is we, we, we skip over verse 5. 
Some of us can remember. We can look back over our life and see what God did. We might even remember from where we have fallen. But notice what he said. He says, repent, comma, and then do your first works. See, we got folks that just get back up and get back to working. And I applaud you for that. But there's got to be room for repentance. There's got to be room for me to say, God, I can't continue to do it my way because the hour is getting late. And I want to make sure that I begin to walk in the progressive will and word of God. So, Adam, come out here and let me cover you. Come out here and let me show you why you can't do it independent of me. You know, one of the more fascinating things, Sister Chelsea, that I, I look at this time of year, right? We all know Thomas as doubting Thomas. We all know that Jesus told him, look, thrust thy finger into the... One of the most incredible things about God, but he made an incision in Adam. And then scripture says he closed Adam's womb. But yet the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he left the wound open. And I said to myself one day, I said, now, Holy Spirit, help a brother out. Because why did Adam get his incision closed? And yet Jesus has had to remain open. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me just as clearly and said, Dennis, the only thing I needed from Adam was the rib. Come on. Once I took it out, it was safe to close it up. But that blood that's going to flow from this man's side, Come on. I don't know who is going to need it and when. So in 1992, when you need it, I want to make sure it's still available. When that coach that is at the end of the last leg of the rope, when that person is considering doing something to themselves other than calling themselves a child of God, I want to make sure that that blood is still available. Now, don't lose sight of what I'm saying. Paul says that the blood cleanses us from a defiled conscience. Adam was pinged in his conscience because of sin. And so if we don't repent, sin might keep looking for us. If we don't repent, that thing that God has forgiven us of, the accuser of the brethren will try to tell. And how many of you know you can't play in the fourth quarter with a mind that's less than clear? Come I on. need you focused in the fourth quarter. I need you to understand where we're going, what we're trying to accomplish. I need you to be able to go out and execute. Come on now. You got that time out in your pocket for a reason. You want to call that time out so you can draw it up. But you could draw it up all you want. They've got to go out and execute. He's, he's already drawn it up for us, beloved. I don't, want to, I don't want to ruin it for you, but I've read the end of the book. And I stopped by to tell you, we win. John said, I saw a rider on a white horse. He had a vesture that was on that was dipped in blood. On one side, it said faithful. On the other side, he said true. Now, that makes him praiseworthy enough. But you know what else John said? And I saw with him other little rivals. You know who got a ring yesterday? LSU. But not just the starting five. Come on. Everybody that was on that roster, every manager, every uh, graduate assistant, everybody. And guess what? We all have a part to play in this victory. Yes, he secured the victory for us, but we got to see to it that we don't stay in hiding longer than we ought, that we come out and allow him to heal us, that we come out and do what he says. See, I remember, here's, here's what I think happens in verse number five, and I promise I'm almost done. I think that the order of this is so significant that it's worth noting. Revelations chapter two, verse five. Remember. See, when I remember uh, Chelsea, what God really delivered me from, mm -hmm. 
It frightens me. Come on. And I don't know if you're anything like me. I don't know if, 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 if the folks out tonight can relate to this, but this is what I discovered. The further away I am from the place of my deliverance, the tendency to romanticize what God bought me out of becomes real. Come on. Parents, like, oh, back in the day, we used to party. And I look back and I say, what party? You were in bondage. Mm -hmm. Oh, back in the day, we, back in the day, what? You was a mess. So he says, remember. Then it says, repent. And that's the part that we struggle with. We can remember, but have you repented? And mm -hmm. when you repent, then you can go do your first works. But I love this now. He says, he that has an ear, let him hear. Yes. I'm dating myself, but I still like listening to baseball games on AM radio. Okay. I like that old school analog sound. I, I, I just like it. The problem with the AM signal is the problem that some of us are having with our relationship with God. The AM signal goes in and out depending upon things that might try to block the signal. Come so on, brother. If you're in the hills of Tennessee, man, AM radio ain't going to work for you. If you up along a big skyscraper building and you get too far away from the analog signal, it, you're going to see our problem is heaven is still speaking, but we've got too many things that are blocking our blessing. We've got too many things that are causing us not to be able to hear that still small voice. And there's a reoccurrence of thought in John's letter to all of the churches in Asia Minor, whether it's Ephesus or Smyrna or Thotari or Laodicea. Doesn't matter who he was talking to. There is a reoccurrence of thought. And the reoccurrence of thought is this. He that has an ear, let him hear. This is not the time. The fourth quarter is not the time for you to start doing things your way. You got to hear the play that's being called. You've got to execute what the coach is looking for. You've got to make sure that the pressure of the moment doesn't become so pronounced that you short circuit. He that had an ear, let him hear. And so what we need to do is we need to pray a prayer. And I pray this prayer often. I say, Lord, tune my ear to the frequency of heaven. Lord, I, there's so many things that are competing for my attention. There are so many things that are trying to pull me in another direction. There are so many things that are trying to entice me. There are so many things that I want to give way to. Lord, tune my ear to the frequency of heaven. I, I, I don't want to move. Look, we know these gyms get loud but they know Coach Chelsea's voice. They, they yeah. know. Now, Come now on. We cheat, we cheat if it's real loud. We'll put it on the dry erase board. We'll hold the play up. But we're communicating. We're not asking them to do it. on. And there's not one bit of instruction in the book of Revelation that leaves it to their own device. He tells them, I am fully aware of what you're up against. John is instructed to write that you would endure, that you would understand that there is an order. Remember, repent, then do your first works. Now, the problem with some, though, beloved, is we're not sure what our first work is. And I say this respectfully, but those of us that are part of the church, the problem with the current construct of the church is we are preaching to folks that are churched, but not necessarily converted. Come on. And what's missing is the element of repentance. And some years ago, I was pastoring two churches, not one church, two locations, two entirely different churches. 
And I remember being frustrated at the rate of growth of the one church. And I don't mean numeric growth. I mean, spiritual growth. It just seems like I was living in a valley of dry bones. And I remember saying to the Lord, I said, Lord, what's going on? What's up with this? Why is it? And I never forget my wife helped me. She said, honey, in all of your toiling and all of your praying, have you ever stopped to consider one thing? What if they don't want what you're offering? She said, you're talking to people that are churched, but they're not converted. Conversion is a matter of the heart. Church is a matter of assimilation. And if you don't believe it, how old is Ham now? <laughs> She's 18 months. <laughs> well, when, 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 when my niece gets 24 months, and we pray that she comes to the place of conversion, we pray that the glorious light of the gospel shines in her heart. But I know her mama. So right around 24 months is when church babies start acting like church folk. Listen to what I'm telling you, beloved. Church babies will start mimicking Come on. what they see mama do. That's now, already. That's good news. For some, that's bad news. That's right. You're going to see those little hands go up. That's already, bro. You're going to see. It's like we got some at the church. They will cry until you put them over there to beat their own drum. <laughs> they don't want to listen so much. They don't. My point in all of this is we cannot become infants in the fourth quarter. Mm, we cannot come on. become shrinking violets in the fourth quarter. Listen, if you miss the shot, but I need somebody to be willing to take the shot. Come on. You might turn it over, but I want a point guard that says, give me the rock. It might not end well, coach, but give me the ball. And that's what God is looking for in these last days from church folk, but we can't be that if we're just church. We've got to be converted. We've got to say, Lord, I want to repent because repentance, like salvation, is a matter of the heart. And so in this fourth quarter, there's so many similarities. How are you managing your time? Time management is a critical element to fourth quarter success. How are we managing our time? Are we idle? Do we act as if we've got all day? Are you witnessing to that individual that might be a family member but don't know Jesus yet? His name's not written in this book called the Lamb's Book of Life. This is going to be awful when we get the revelation that there's a day coming where God's spirit is not striving with men anymore. I thank God for the day that the glorious light of the gospel shined in my heart. I thank God for the process of sanctification that is slowly but surely in a lifelong process, taking off the rough edges, rebuking me where I need to be rebuked, encouraging me when encouragement is needed, but preparing me most of all for this fourth quarter. There's a trumpet that's going to sound. Come on. You, you know, it, it, it's, this is not hyperbole. This is not an allegory. This is the reality of what's getting ready to happen. This is not all symbolism. Yes, there's plenty of symbolism in the book of Revelation, but it's not all symbolism. He's coming back for a church, and we've got to make sure that we're ready. And so I would just simply encourage us tonight to ask ourselves just a couple of questions. First of all, do you have an ear to hear? And if you don't, Lord, again, tune my ear to the frequency of heaven. I can't miss what you're doing in this last hour. I need you to instruct me relative to what you're expecting of me. And so when we look at this, we clearly see that we don't have as much time as we thought we did. And 
You could tell a lot about somebody when they know they're out of time. You get desperate. You know, get desperate. And if the church really believes that time is winding down, there should be a level of desperation in our worship. There should be a level of desperation in our praise. There should be a level of desperation in our witness. And for some reason, this is going to be a really strange shift, but I feel that we need to go here quickly. Sister Chelsea, I don't even think we know what worship in the church is. Come on. Because we've gotten away from its original intent. And its original intent is found in the book of beginnings. And we're 22 chapters into the book of Genesis before we ever see the word worship. And the first time that we see the word worship, it has nothing to do with music. It has nothing to do with stringed instruments. It has nothing to do with whether we worship on the Hammond organ or the syncopation of a drum beat. This is where worship is first introduced. God tells a man named Abraham to do an incredibly difficult thing. Go offer your son, your only son. Get thee into the land that I shall tell thee of and offer your son there. And for whatever reason, when Abraham was journeying, he says to those that he was traveling with, you abide right here while I and the lad go yonder and worship. And that's the first time the word worship is recorded in scripture is Genesis chapter 22. Here's my take on worship based upon that first mention. Worship is nothing to do with the music that I sing or how I sing it. Worship is my yes to even the difficult thing that God is requiring of me. So then the question becomes, are you a worshiper? When we look at worship in the context of worship being a difficult thing that God is requiring of me, now it makes sense when God says those that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Because independent of the Holy Spirit enabling you, you as a believer will never be able to adhere to the hard thing that God's telling you to do unless the Spirit of God empowers you to do it. I can't do a hard thing on my own. I can't finish a hard season independent of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that in scripture, he says, it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So we've got to enable the Holy Spirit to build us up again. And the Holy Spirit will if we give him a yes to the hard thing that he's requiring of us. And so listen, as we kick off this third year of anniversary, my message is real simple. It's the fourth quarter and the fourth quarter brings with it pressure. Do you have something in your life that serves as a pressure release valve. It's either prayer or meditation, reflection. In my life, it's praise. I've never come out of praise or adoration or worship of God feeling less than better about my situation. It's that pressure release valve that's causing the temperature to come down, making me to pause to remember that, wait a minute, if God didn't devour me in that, what makes me think that God's gonna devour me in this? If God spared you in that, what makes you think God is going to cause the enemy to defeat you in this? Come on now. I thought you said same God back then, same God. He's the same God. So, so, so if he did it before, he'll do it again. If he did it before, he'll do it again. But the problem is until you're converted, you really don't have a point of reference. You really don't have a point of reference. I tell people this all the time. Have you ever been on a long journey? Remember back to your youth, right? And you constantly ask him from the backseat, how much longer? Are we almost there? Are we almost there? Are we almost there? 
how come on the way back it always seems so much shorter? You're like, yo, we back already? <laughs> yeah. Anybody want to speculate as to why? When you were going, there was no point of reference. You didn't know you were getting come on. You were actually closer to your destination than you knew, but there was nothing familiar. Conversely, on the way home, you recognize, or say, oh, we're home. You ain't technically home, but you feel like you're home because you're back in some familiar surroundings. Our problem is when God asked a hard thing of us, when we are in our places of hardship, we don't feel as though we're closer than we are because there's nothing familiar around us. But I just stopped by to tell somebody tonight, if you tune your ear to the frequency of heaven, he'll tell you exactly where you are. He'll tell you exactly what he's requiring of you. He's telling you exactly what it's going to take for you to get there. And we're closer than we really think we are. And by closer than we think we are, I mean closer to this thing ended winding up as we know it. Now, listen, you can't tell this to everybody. And that's why you got to be careful. I tell folks all the time, the most pivotal thing in my humble opinion that God told Nicodemus, uh, that Jesus told Nicodemus, was that if you're not born again, yes, he did tell him you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And as preachers, we get to that, but that's not the first thing he told Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, if you ain't born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And I'm tired of frustrating myself with folks that I'm trying to give them something that God told me that can't understand it. You know why they can't understand it? They ain't born again. So stop frustrating yourself trying to tell folks what God told you in this season when they lack the ability to see it. Why not tell it to somebody that has the ability to celebrate it because they can see it? You tell me, you call me, you text me, KB, Robert, uh, 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 Coach Huff, and you tell me what God's doing in this season, I can believe it because we're kindred, we're both born again. You tell that non-believer what God, they'll look at you like you, say, girl, you crazy. Well, maybe I am, but time will tell. And so Chelsea, we're gonna let these good people be delivered from my long-winded preaching, but I want you to know this. This is the fourth quarter. And that trumpet's going to sound. And those seals are going to be removed. And that book that heaven lamented over nobody being worthy to open is going to be opened because one has been found worthy. The elders were weeping in heaven because there was a book that had everybody's reservation in it. The Lamb's book of life was there and they, they lament. Listen to me. They wailed and lamented in heaven because they knew the significance of it, but they also knew that they weren't worthy. And then thank God for one elder that had his ear tuned to the frequency of heaven that said, weep not for the lamb that was slain has been resurrected again. And oh, by the way, he's worthy to remove the seal. Man, listen, I don't know what the enemy's going to do when he discovers that my name is written in indelible blood, cannot be removed. And I am going to be in the presence of a holy God. He's not gonna look at my yesterday. He's not gonna look at my mistakes. He's not gonna look at my shortcomings or my failures. He's gonna look at what Christ says I am. And he's gonna say, come on in. He's gonna say, come on over here. And there ain't nothing, I don't care what you say. There ain't nothing like surviving a fourth quarter run from the, and getting out of the world. Come on. Come on now. That locker room, it, it, it feels a little different, don't it? That somebody stepped up. Somebody made a play. Somebody said, I want the ball. Somebody said, listen, coach is talking. Somebody on that bench realized I may not be in the game, but I can control this energy over here. And that's what I want people in this season to do. When you see a brother struggling, when you see a sister that's struggling, when you see that the weariness of the dispensation that we're in is getting the best of them, be a John and encourage them. 
And in encouraging them, John had to rebuke them. He had to level an ultimatum. But every single church that he wrote to ends the same way. There is a promise to those that overcome. Every one, there's not one that's omitted that if you overcome, this is going to be your lot. If you overcome, I'll give you the, the, the ability to eat of the tree of life. If you overcome, you shall not be hurt in the second death. If you overcome, I'll grant to you to sit on the side of my throne. So we're not just enduring for no reason, but there's a promise connected to it. Why would you quit now? Why would you give up now? Why would you revert back now? I'd rather you stay the course. I'd rather you stay the course. And there's nothing better than saying, Lord, we understand the dispensation that we're in. And we know we're not in innocence anymore. We know we're not in conscience anymore. The third, by the way, has to deal with Noah. And that was the dispensation of human government. And dare I say, we can all see that that doesn't work. Hello. And so we're in the dispensation of grace. We're in the dispensation of the church. And I don't know about you, but I don't know where we would be if it weren't for the grace of God. And so my sister, I want every servant leader, coach, friend of the ministry, those that have connected with Sister Chelsea over these last three years, I want you to simply make up your mind to do one thing, that come hell or high water, I'm gonna stay the course. There's too much at stake. There's too much to lose and we've come too far. So he says, remember, repent, and then do your first works. And if we just left tonight, with a mindset to do those three things. Remember, repent, and then go back to do our first works, then our coming would not have been in vain. And not only would our coming not be in vain, but God will use us to bring others into the kingdom as well. So say, Lord, tune it. And it's yeah, funny, no, it's go. because when he tunes it, it's surprising what he'll reveal. It's surprising what he'll reveal, Chelsea. And we just got to be willing to allow him to lead us. And so that's all. Well, first of all, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Three years ago, you know, when we look back to that pandemic, when we look at the connections that have been made, uh, indeed, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And we've got a network of people that goes all the way up north to the tip of uh, the southernmost part of Florida, we stretch out to the east and to the west and everywhere in between, um, you know, and and God wants to use us. Amen. And I'll end where I began. It, it, it blows my mind that the God of creation wants to take his deity and partner with our humanity. Hmm. But that's his mode of operandi. It's been his mode of operandi from the beginning. He could have given up on Adam, but he said, Adam, I want to use you. He could have given up on Noah, but he said, Noah, I'll afford you my grace. He could have given up on Paul, but he refused to. He could have given up on Peter, but he came back to make sure Peter was restored. And he's not going to give up on us. And so if I said anything tonight that can help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, to God be the glory. Um, but I celebrate you. I celebrate all of the servant leaders. I see my brother Robert jumped on. I see mama was on. And I celebrate oh, yeah. I celebrate you all. Oh, yeah. I celebrate you all. And most of all, I celebrate the Christ that is in you. I only got one favor of you. My only favor is that we would do this, that we would build each other up and not tear each other down. Yeah. And that we would further commit to building Christ's church and to advance in his kingdom. And if we make up our mind to do those things, 
man, we're going to make good progress in record time. So that's oh, yeah. all I love it. But we do love all of you. And I'll end my portion there. I'm ready to fellowship with whosoever may still be on. But I simply say, as I often do, shalom, shalom. Robert, I, brother, I don't, okay, because I'm not ready yet. So I don't know if you can, right? But I'm going to yield to you first if you can. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll be calm enough to respond. <laughs> How y'all doing? It is, good, bro. it is good to see y'all. Amazing word as always. And right on. So I was blessed to go to the Final Four this weekend. Oh, awesome. So I am back in North Carolina, and I still got a couple of days off. When I came back home, I said, it's the anniversary. And I texted Chelsea yesterday. I said, you know what? There's something missing. The serve leadership group needs to be in the Women's Final Four next year as an event. And then the following year, we need to go to the men's side. So as yeah. I started thinking about this thing, thinking about this thing, praying about this thing, and I seen, I actually seen some people as a part of the service leadership group, they're gonna say, hey, Robert, how you doing? I was like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah. Who would have thought that the people wow. we met on Zoom three years ago will be out here now? Yeah. So mm -hmm. to God be the glory for the word, because the people are hungry and looking for the word. That's and right. They're, um, they're looking for for opportunity to engage with the body of Christ in 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 this um, in in our profession as coaches mm -hmm. because it's needed. it is much needed and I, I brother Dennis amazing word as always I, I love, love you, you love you all uh, Chelsea stay on the wall yes I'm first a person on your planning community I'm serious let's I get know. started because the 2020 2024, no, 2024, 2020, what is it, 2324? 2324, Final Four. Yeah, 2324, Final Four. You're going to be there. I saw oh, I, that's I, I went to every meeting. I went to everybody's stuff and I saw, I saw it clear. I was looking at their sponsorships. This person sponsored this, this person sponsored that. And I asked one person, I said, How'd you get this set up? He was like, I just made a phone call and, and, it, and it started rolling from there. He said, Wait till after the championship game to start making your phone calls and start, and start rolling from there. And I was like, Guess what? The serve leadership group is going to start rolling from there. So oh, that's awesome. It's amazing. That's, a, that's exactly what he said to me. And I, I received that. Um, it definitely came in a line of even some other things, talking to key players that work behind the scenes and kind of help these things streamline between getting the podcast out, the graphics, all those things. And uh, I'm with you, Karen, for sure. And then I, and I, my good sis KB told me too, she's like, if you, I hadn't told her, Robert, and I said, but I, I hadn't told her, but you did now. She said, you're going to be in Cleveland. If not, the following year's in Tampa. You have no excuse. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll just say, you know, more than anything, when God gave me that word, and especially like we said, no matter the sport you play, there is an end. And much like you said, that trumpet will sound, and we know what it is when that buzzer sounds. We all have been there as a player or a coach or even as a spectator when that buzzer sounds and you're on the losing end. They drop to the floor. They cry, right? They are unconsolable because there is no more time. And, and I say that with a, an enraging passion because I just literally, there's a there's an art piece that I speak of, and I'm going to get it, brother. I'm going to get it. I'm going to put it up because... It is literally like the family reunion in heaven, I believe is some play on title uh, mm -hmm. as such. But 
the visual of it, brother, just watching the reunion. I don't want to miss that. Because see, the flip side of that thing, and we know again what it looked like yesterday. We know what it looks like all through March Madness. You know, when buzzer beaters, time is running out, and there is nothing else that can change the fate of what happened. Mm -hmm. I want to be on the winning team. Yeah. I, I, you know, but more than anything, and to be honest with you, I've been a starter all my life. I've I've been the one that I want the ball in my hands, whether I'm orchestrating, whether I'm taking the last shot, whether it is I'm rallying the four that's on the floor with me and my team. Y'all, let's go. We can do this. I want the ball in my hands. I want to be like you, coach, as we're coaches now, turning around saying, y'all, let's get it. I want a game plan. I want to be the one in there in the trenches. And so whatever it is your role, what I do know is I don't want to fall on my face in tears because it's over. I want to fall on my face and praise him that I made it over. Mm -hmm. And so for that, I thank you for being instrumental to opening this thing up kicking mm -hmm. this thing off. I knew in the planning stages and how this always goes and what we mentioned, this is literally within the end of basketball, the beginning of football, it's sports. We're servant leaders, we're busy. Mm -hmm. But that being said, whether it's one, it's 20, it's 50, it's a hundred, it's even been, or the thousands that have graced the play button on the podcast, the hundreds of thousands. I think we are almost there to half a million, y'all. Wow. And that mm -hmm. is God simply reaching out to people through the vessels that you all are willing to be, just simply do you say, he who has an ear, let him hear. So brother, thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. It, it's, it's always a blessing to be with you all. And it's a weird thing because we've connected in such a way, uh, you know, um, and then the social media, like I said, keeps it, keeps it relevant, keeps it real. And uh, I legitimately pull for each of you and pray for each of you. And, you know, as I mentioned, Paul constantly, uh, you know, getting out the word each day. So yeah, we really are without excuse. And, You're and right. The and there's no coach that wants an excuse. We want to get better. Right. So if we acknowledge our shortcomings and we have them too. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we always draw the greatest play. But the point is, when we acknowledge then we can get better together. And I think that's what the Lord um, had for us tonight by sharing with us, you know, John's letter. It's a circular letter to these seven churches. But man, look, there was so much commonality in it. There was a common theme in it. And of course, the, the chief among them was that, look, at the end of this, there's a promise. Don't, don't lose heart. Don't, don't give up now. Um, and so just encouraged by each and every one of you. And uh, sister, uh, sister Karen said it's in Ohio. She she couldn't type it fast enough. She was yeah, in She said it's in Cleveland, right? Like we we coming, Karen. We coming, right? Yeah. I, I no longer shall I tarry on the things that um, we felt we had time for. I yeah. think that's the best way you said it. No longer will I tarry on the things that we we felt we had time for. And 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 we know that much like uh, our brother Robert said, <laughs> and you, they're there. They want yeah. the word. And yeah. so at the end of the day, we that is our job as a word. We travel, we go to get that out there. So I thank you, brother, as I always say. I love it, Karen. Oh, boo, I'm glad you're willing because I've all told people. Uh, go back a couple of episodes. There's quite a few servant leaders that'll tell you that. So I'm glad that you're a willing participant. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the team. Uh, and, and I feel, guys, as we wrap up here, and I thank y'all so much. I'm so excited. God is so good. But it's just so amazing how I feel like with every day that passes, 
um, every servant leader that joins the rank, rather as a, a member or a speaker or what have you, right? I just feel like our team, y'all, like, oh my gosh, I feel like I don't care who we were to compete against, it's undefeated squad. Mm -hmm. I don't care what rotation we try to come up with, it's an undefeated squad. From the coach all the way down to the player to whatever the case may be, to even individuals like Karen, it's like, yo, sign me up, I'm down. And so for, for more than anything, I'll say this, and brother, if you can do two things for me, um, say a prayer for us, but also reach to the heart that may not know him, but something struck in them um, that may want to know him better. But I'll say this, um, this weekend was amazing celebrating uh, amazing servant leader, a, a childhood close friend of mine. Um, and one of the things I spoke about was Esther and uh, being a queen for such a time as this. And when I think about the servant leader, I think a lot of times on how you all literally rallied and said, uh, Chelsea, nope, I know that the pandemic has kind of, you know, simmered a little bit. The world has opened back up. I know that, you know, people are now back to the regular schedules and we can't convene like we used to, but we got you. Keep this thing going. Let's rally. Let's move. And even though the pandemic seemed like we never get out of it, even though it seemed like we didn't have answers, uh, I, I truly do believe and know now why God allowed all of our paths to cross in a line for such a time as this. And so I appreciate you guys. Y'all, it's about to be an amazing month. I'm telling y'all that right now. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there to you. So if you were here, if you missed it and catch the recording, I implore you that you might want to be right back here uh, for the live feed on Wednesday at the same time, same place. Uh, we got my brother, uh, brother Mitch. Um, he, he's going to come in. He is the FCA um, and chaplain at Tar Heels. And y'all, when I was on the phone with him, I'm going to tell you right now, I was on the phone with him and I was doing something. I'm a multitasker. I had to sit down. That's all I say. So I know we're busy, schedules are going, but the whole point of mind of it is just to fellowship and get better uh, in the fourth quarter. No more time's wasting. The clock is ticking, y'all. So my brother, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you so much. And if you could do those two things for me so we could get out, I would appreciate it. Indeed, I will. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we, we do come and um, Lord, whether the individual is already of the household of faith and the glorious light of the gospel is already shined, uh, we certainly thank you for them. We thank you that they have been spared. We thank you that we can look back and remember. Now, God, we pray that you tune our ear to the frequency of heaven, that that still small voice that we know to be the voice of our God would lead us and guide us, that we would grow in both the grace and knowledge of you. That, Lord, we wouldn't cower in fear. We wouldn't run from our calling. We would not um, be comfortable in the day that we're living in, but that we would move with an urgency, that we would become desperate as losing teams do in the waning moments of the fourth quarter, that we would get an urgency about our walk. And Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to be effective in this last season, that Lord, we know it's not your will that any perish. And those that might hear this either live or maybe they're, in, they're, they're suffering from insomnia and they log in late in the night, I pray that the drawing of the Holy Spirit would woo them to come, that they would come over here, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good, and that we would be all aware of the fact that your mercy endures forever. And so God, save tonight, heal tonight, deliver tonight as only you can. Lord, I know that you can because you did it for me. 
And I pray, God, that the fire of the Holy Spirit would burn within Sister Chelsea and every servant leader that either is or has been or will be connected to her. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to remember that we've got to be careful who we give audience to. You told Adam, who? Who have you been talking to? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that your conscience has been defiled? And so, Lord, that we would look retrospectively to the relationships that we have and that we would look, oh God, with wisdom to be led out of every, every unproductive relationship in our life. And then, God, we pray that you would give us the grace to remember, to repent, and then to redo our first work all over again. Bless us, oh God. Help us to walk up rightly before you, knowing right well that there's no good thing that you would withhold from those of us that do. Help us, oh God, to remember, oh God, that the trumpet shall sound, and oh God, then the game would be over. Then there's not another shot to be had, not another press to implement, but then, oh God, only the consequences of what we didn't do. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Be merciful to these, your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love y'all. brother. Hey, we love you. Anybody listening, uh, our DM's open. I'm on all social media platforms. Brother Dennis is as well. I say it all the time. Send that message our way. We will get you where you need to be. It does not matter where you live. Um, we are starting in the third year. Our servant leader, weekly devotionals. You want to get a copy, send us your email. Guys, we are a branch of people that love Christ and just doing as well to grow as better servant leaders. So knock out with us again. Come see us again. Next up, Mitch Mason. And we have an amazing month and year that's ready to roll out. We thank you guys so much for joining and listening, whether it be now or later. We're going to see you guys next time.